Asset Radio. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing coming to you worldwide from MegaWare Keelguard Studios. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They're all together, loopy, the Bassage family. Aaron, here we are. This is it, brother. <laughs> October 15th. Come on. How about that, that open? That, that was fantastic, Kurt. I will give you a 9 out of 10 on, on that opening. So, nice, uh, nice. Very, very, very good. Very creative. Hey, well, uh, I figured Adam's family is very suitable for, you know, the upcoming Halloween season. And, uh, you know, nonetheless, trying to... Try to have some fun again here on Bass Edge Radio. Yes, because we don't know how trick-or-treating may look like this year, so uh, it's going to be a little different. So I always appreciate bringing that festive nature back into the time of year that we find ourselves, which is, right, fall fishing, Kurt. And saw an interesting deal. Uh, Skate Guard got a little shout-out by uh, Andrew Upshaw, which was then featured on the Bass Blaster. But again, if you don't know what we're talking about, of course, Skate Guard is one of the fantastic products by MegaWare of the MegaWare family also makers of the first do-it-yourself keel protector the battery guards the list goes on and on but we've got to be sure everybody check out if you have not done so be sure to visit them at keelguard.com yeah no doubt aaron and you gotta love bass blaster right jay kumar just an awesome job always putting out some uh fun facts interesting stuff little tidbits for the uh anglers out there and you know i love the way the whole thing's set up it's just short segments you get a kind of glimpse and if you want to click into it, you click into it. If not, you kind of still keep abreast of what's going on in the tournament. Yeah, kind of like the sound bites. I like that, you know. The thing I like about it, it's not just completely focused on tournaments. It's tidbits here and there within the industry and uh, very useful, in my opinion. Fun stuff. Fun stuff. Kind of like, I think Jay Kumar would do a great job with an Adams Family opening as well. <laughs> yes. Yes, he would. <laughs> The, uh, the, you know, I was actually uh, perusing Mark Lassane's, uh The Bass Angler Mag, another great partner of ours. And, uh, you know, he had some shout outs with uh, Alabama Bass Trail. And although he's a West Coast guy, he stays really in tune with everything that's going on uh, across the country as well. So I um, always like, you know, logging into the Bass Angler Mag and seeing, seeing what's going on over there from the West Coast perspective and still getting the full gamut of knowledge and news from his publication as well that's that's not always covered in other places yeah he does a great job kurt of bringing in all parts uh, not just on the west side but uh, certainly covering all things bass fishing related with the education piece you bet well be sure to check those things out if you want to get onto bass blaster all you got to do is send an email to bass blaster at bass gold Dot com And then, of course, the website for Bass Angler Magazine is pretty simple, just BassAnglerMag.com. So uh, stay abreast with those. We are going to move right into a tackle tip brought to us, thankfully, by ProtectTheHarvest.com. This episode's ProtectTheHarvest.com tackle tip with BASS Elite Series Pro, Greg DePalma. Yeah, so one of the biggest tips that I can give you guys that I still, to this day, I do not see guys doing it. And this also pertains to fall fishing. Uh, Throwing a spoon is one of the greatest ways to catch fish that are just suspending if you can drop down and get them to bite. One of the things, like I said, I, I never see guys doing that much is 
simply adding a swivel to your spoon will not only allow you to, to hook a fish a lot better as far as when they bite it, but it's going to take away all that line twist from that spoon when it falls and fluttering down. Adding that swivel will save you a lot of time and a lot of headache and effort just by doing that. So that's my fall tip for you guys, and hope it helps you out. Great tip, Greg, brought to you by ProtectTheHarvest.com. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Livewell, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Kurt, I am looking forward to uh, just a little less than over a week i'll be heading out to uh, bull shoals for the championship and uh, i hope to be targeting shallow fish i can tell you that for sure yeah you know again we talked the last episode about deep versus shallow and i, I think the more you get into the fall the more guys will start and gals you know will start leaning on that shallow water bite Aaron, really interesting. Let's break down some shallow water techniques and maybe a couple tidbits we can help the listeners with that we've had some success with. Let's open this up with the tried and true buzz bait. This is a bait that I love to throw. You can cover a lot of water, which with the scattered fish really helps. The buzz bait and the frog. Right. I mean, this has become a mainstay now, you know, three, four years ago, eh, it was kind of on the verge. Guys doing it. They started way back, you know, in in the Carolinas, I think, is the first place I started seeing this. But uh, are you a big buzzbait guy in the fall when you're shallow water fishing? Absolutely. You know, and it's funny that you bring that up of, you know, three to four years ago, you couldn't even find one prepackaged right with a buzzbait blade and the the frog on it. And now they're everywhere. But um, yes, that is absolutely something that I will be using. I can promise you gold blades with the black frog on it that is definitely a go-to what about you kurt is is that something that you find leaning on every now and again or is that a heavy lean on go-to for you it is pretty heavy for me and i saw something just actually a few weeks ago as we're coming into this fall season there's more and more chatter all over the uh, media train uh, i'll call it you know about these types of techniques and i saw cliff perch you know really mention something he had said that he was a big skirt guy for his buzz baits until he started throwing the frog. But the reason the frog on the buzz bait was a big factor for him, distance of cast. He could make a much longer cast with the frog on a buzz bait than he could with a skirt. So I thought that was a great tip of why, you know, there's an advantage sometimes with utilizing the, yeah, the frog. Very, very frustrating. All of us have been there when that buzz bait can start to helicopter. That's exactly right. So that frog does help with casting. I think too, you can even downsize that a little bit, Aaron. Maybe 
maybe a small little swim bait on the back of, yes. of the uh, bait is also, you know, something that's gained some popularity. I, I do think um, trailer hook, very important in the fall. You get a lot of slashing fish busting the bait and they just start slashing that time of year. Really, you know, as the temperature continues to cool, they, they just move a lot quicker, right? They're, they're more aggressive and uh, trailer hook really important. So uh, be sure you have a trailer hook on those. Let's go into another top water bait that is no secret right whopper plopper the plopper to me aaron i would say speed and size are a huge deal with the plopper whether you're running the 90 or the 120 the difference and there's i think four different sizes i generally use those two but the sound is a lot different with those different sizes and i think Either size you might be trying to use, speed is a critical issue. Fast can trigger some reaction bites, and slow sometimes around cover can keep the bait in the strike zone a little longer and really trigger a strike. So I think, you know, playing around with speed that time of year is really important. I could not agree more. You know, one of the things that I do is I throw it on an 8-3 to 1 gear ratio, believe it or not, because I want to be able to smoke that bait. And uh, this time of year, it's about covering water, Kurt. We've talked a lot about that one. One thing I would I also lean heavy on concerning the whopper plopper is I do put a red feather hook on that front hook, Kurt. I don't know if it's a confidence thing for me, but I do believe that that does trigger when you're working the bait slower. I do think it gives them a target to zone in on when they're hitting it. Yeah, that's actually a great idea. I would, you know, just thinking about that, as you mentioned that, you know, probably gives it a little undulation as well. You know, obviously the ploppers are the hard plastic bait. It's not moving back and forth. You just have the mechanism in the back making the commotion. So maybe that feathered treble there on the front hook too gives it a little more lifelike action on the front end. Right. I think so, Kurt. Hey, I was going to throw one while we're kind of going down this list. What's your thoughts on the shallow cranking? You know, I I lean pretty heavy on a square bill. How about you? Definitely. I think the biggest key with shallow cranking this time of year is deflection. You've got to make contact. You know, I think typically you're going to have more success uh, when you're fishing shallow cover, like laydowns. And it doesn't have to be a laydown on the bank because most of the bait fish are still out in a lot of land, I like to call it, right? You know, but you get back in some of the flats and you find, you know, some of those isolated logs and uh, running those crankbaits by those isolated logs on flats are really critical, but you can't just get around it. You need to get on the log. The fish are going to utilize those logs as ambush points. So making contact with those logs and uh, they see so much natural bait that time of year, you really got to make that deflection to entice that strike in my opinion. Totally agree. And, you know, I, I think we would also have to throw in probably one of my favorite baits would be the spinner bait. And I think you could probably, you know, roll the chatter bait in with that would be my assumption. But I got to be throwing a spinner bait this time of year. And I'm going to kind of vary the blade sizes. I want to go bigger is better if I'm around the big uh, gizzard shad, which is what I like kind of yeah. like to go after depending on what lake you're in or, or thread fin. But how about you? Totally agreed. I'm always chattering around grass. I think the key this time of year when you're chatterbaiting around grass or spinnerbaiting, whatever you like to do, but trailer is a big deal. You know, the trailer is really going to affect the depth 
of the lure and how deep it runs. You know, speed affects that as well, but you can also change a trailer hook, you know, whether you're throwing a kind of flappy like a, a rage tail or, you know, an optimum swim bait. Those are going to keep those baits a little bit higher in the water column. But if you go to a real subtle swim bait, like maybe a smaller boot tail swim bait or um, trying to think of, um, you know, like a swim Cinco or something that's really subtle, it's going to allow that bait to go down even deeper. Maybe even just a straight tail worm because the chatterbait's going to give that vibration to the plastic that you're trailing behind it. But if you just throw a worm on the back of a chatterbait, it's going to allow it to achieve the maximum depth because that bait's not going to want to rise based on that trailer type that you're using. So make sure you use your trailer for different depths that you're trying to achieve. Of course, you know, basic things like speed control can play a factor in that as well as line size. So those kinds of things are things that you're going to want to change around to try to get to the right cover and elicit the strikes. And the spinnerbait, same thing, Aaron. Small blades, big blades, it just depends on what kind of bait you have in your body of water. But uh, I think that's also very important to match the blade size with the bait that you're seeing. And generally in the fall, you know, you've got hatchlings from midsummer that are still, you know, rather small, but you've got, you know, like you mentioned, the big gizzard chat. So it just depends on what you want to, what you're trying to target and the type of fishery that you're on for sure. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, hey, speaking of good stuff, we have an interesting, I kind of went west coast two weeks in a row didn't we yeah this whole month is rolling west coast now which is really cool we've got uh the man that blew out the toyota series now this is way back several weeks ago maybe you know, we're, we're in the six weeks ago now it's probably been but uh, i feel like actually there wasn't enough chatter about this event because he blew this event out by pounds I mean, not just two or three pounds. I'm talking about like double digit type pounds. So we're going to chat with uh, this fella about flipping and frogging. Y'all stay tuned. You're going to want to hear. I'm not going to give away who it is, but you're going to want to hear this angler about these subjects. So stay tuned. Bass Edge Radio will be right back with the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. This is BASS Elite Angler Kyle Wilcher. This is Bass Elite Series Angler Bernie Schultz. This is BASS Bassmaster Elite Angler Stetson Blaylock. This is MLF BPT Angler John Murray, and you are listening to Bass Edge Radio. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat, MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Aaron, I am so looking forward to this Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. He is no stranger to the show, and he is always bringing the knowledge pure and simple. We can take our fall fishing and understand of flipping heavy cover and frogging to everything that looks fishy. But today's chat with recent FLW Toyota Series winner and MLF BPT angler Ish Monroe is going to bring the goods. Stoked to have you back on the show, Ish. Glad to be here, guys. 
Well, Ish, before we dive off into uh, the knowledge base, I, I just want to throw out a big congrats on the win last month on your home waters, the California Delta. And when I say a win, okay, we've got to put this in perspective. Blowout victory. You won by what people hope to catch and weigh in in a tournament. 16 and a half pounds. <laughs> you know, given that you travel the country, do you really still feel that uh, you have a home waters advantage on that body of water and anything other than absolutely is not going to suffice with a 16 and a half pound margin? Uh, the home field advantage was there because I know the techniques that it takes to win. And then I have a general idea of the areas, but more so than anything else, it was about practice and how important practice was is I had actually been fishing a lot of little local one-day derbies, Wednesday nighters, they call them, and I've been getting my butt kicked in Wednesday nighters, but I hadn't practiced. So I decided for the Toyota Series I was going to put two weeks of really hard practice in, and I really got to scout the whole delta and fish the whole delta and plan out the tides, and that's, you know, what helped. Planning out the tides, man. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a Potomac River guy. That's from where I grew up now, obviously living in Lake Amistad. But the tides, you know, you hear about this all the time. When you, when you say plan out the tides, dive a little bit deeper into that for the listeners. I mean, you're basically mapping a course for a day's fishing based on yes. different conditions that happen tidally every day. Explain that to the audience. So you could be on the best spot at the best time of the day but the tide could be wrong and you could not get a bite. And so you have to plan out the tides on what the tide in each area the fish are biting on. Some place are high water tides, the fish bite. Some place are low water tides. Some fish are wanted on an outgoing. Some fish wanted on an incoming. And so when you practice, you get to figure that out is if you're getting a lot of bites in an area, I use my Lorance graph. I look at the tides and what it's doing at that particular time of day. To me, tide is more important than time of day. Gotcha. Makes perfect sense. So you could map that out, obviously. That, you know, you can log on to your computer and look at the tides for, you know, next year at this time on the California Delta or the Potomac River or wherever tidal fishery you might be fishing. But yeah, really, my Lorance graph does that. Yeah, that's right. You can dial it right up on the Lorance. Yeah, you can go yep. as far back or as far forward as you need to and, yep. like you say, map that game out. But really, it sounds to me, you know, Two weeks prior to the tournament, I know that the tides are going to be almost exactly the same as the tournament. So how do you feel like the timing of your practice played into the overall blowout victory? I mean, 16 pounds, dude. Let me just say, you did not get the credit you deserved for whipping it up like that. I mean, you're talking about everyone's that's fishing the Toyota series out in California. Those are the guys that think they got a chance to win in a general aspect, especially when you go to the Delta, right? right? I mean, you got all the, all the best guys coming out there and putting in the time for those events because there's only three of them throughout the year and they're putting in that extra time. And, and the Toyota series hasn't been drawn as many anglers out there. I do have to throw that out there, but you know, because there's so many other things going on out West nowadays, but but every single one of them can, brings, yeah, it, that's what I was going to say. It still brings the best, the best to those events. So a 16 pound blowout pro is like, ouch, <laughs> you had to make some people think what? <laughs> well, well, that two week time frame, like you said, the tides are almost identical. But yes. then what you do is you use that next week to confirm that they're biting on those tides, not at that time of day. 
So right. once again, we had a high outgoing tide two weeks prior to the event. So I practiced on that high outgoing tide, found some fish in a couple of different areas, then went back the next week and tried that morning bite on a low incoming tide and the fish didn't bite. So that confirmed once again, that they wanted that high outgoing tide and the time of day really didn't matter. It was more about the tide. Right. So right. that's what helped me. Yeah, our numbers were down. You know, COVID's got a lot of people scared and, and sure. things have changed. And especially here in California, it's uh, it's pretty different now than right. things have been from the weigh-in standpoint to even going to the gas station. And pull your boat. And so it just, I think that also knocked the numbers down because really trying hard to social distance, even though you're 15 feet apart in a bass boat. Right. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, the best of the best were there. You know, you had guys like Robert Lee and Ken Ma out there. And I mean, those dudes are hammers on the Delta and stuff. And the great part about those guys is they love fishing against the best of the best. They welcome me coming out there because. They know that the only way for them to get better is to fish against the best guys out there. And yes. Robert's no slouch. He, he he only won three Bassmaster tournaments out there. <laughs> only three. Right. You know, right. against, against, against the best guys in the world, beating Kevin and Skeed and Ike and, you know, Hackney and everybody else. So, sure. yeah, I mean, the good guys were there. and It was, it was a fun event, but I, I had that tie dialed. I literally had the first day I went to a stretch of bank and I caught 20 pounds off of that stretch. And it was a backup stretch because <laughs> I didn't even, because, well, it was the stretch that I said, I got 30 minutes of slack tide on the primary water that I want to fish. Right. So go, so hit I go else that, yeah, let me go yeah. hit some, right. Go hit a backup stretch that I said, Oh, I'll catch a couple of good ones. Well, I am catching 20 pounds off of it. And I knew 20 pounds a day would win the tournament. So I didn't go, to my primary stuff until day two. And then I rolled through on day two on my primary stuff and I whacked a couple of good ones. And then day three, it's like, all right, well, let's go back to the primary stuff and finish these boys off. And it was, <laughs> right. that's pretty much what happened. Yeah, yeah. Well, it worked out perfectly. And and to win a tournament in that fashion, you, you got to have some things go for you. And you know that. And, and it went for you that week because you put the time in and it all yeah. came together. Let's dive into some fall flipping. You know, flipping and frogging were the keys. Don't really want to totally focus in on the tournament that's been there. Let's talk about how we can flip and frog, you know, this fall. You know, talking about late October, even into November, um, down in my neck of the woods. The grass doesn't even really start breaking up until the end of November, early December. So still lots of this going. We know that mats are always there in Florida, right? I mean, you proved that. La you know, one thing I want to – another thing I want to mention, everybody came out last year with the MLF, the BBT format, and the whole – you know, now you guys had this two-pound minimum. And I love the fact that you went down there to Kissimmee and did your own thing, and you punched, and you frogged, and you still whooped them up even though some Somebody thought it was going to take 35 fish a day to ante up the score. You just went down there and caught three to five pounders all day long. So I thought that well, was really awesome. That's the way I fish. That's, that's I, I like big fish. I mean, it's all about catching big ones. Um, but the flipping deal is, is yeah, it, we're in a transition. And so you actually have to tie up multiple weight sizes. I mean, we're talking having a three-quarter ounce a one ounce, a one and a quarter, a one and a half, and a one and three quarter ounce when you're flipping that grass in the fall, 
because the fact is is that the grass starts to break up in places, but it's still super thick in other places. And, you know, when it's starting to break up, well, that three-quarter ounce is going to be key. And then that stuff that's still super duper thick, you might have to use a one and three-quarter ounce. And so you kind of got to have more flipping sticks tied up in the fall. And then the same thing kind of goes with the frog is is it's having multiple colors because that grass is transitioning, turning different colors. And I'm a firm believer in matching the hatch and matching the colors. And if there's bluegill around, then I'm throwing a bluegill color. If there's crawdads around, I'm throwing a crawdad color. And, and you know, it's kind of that same concept to it. The bite is not as good as the springtime. We know that, but it's still really good in the fall. Let's uh, dive into real quick on what you had mentioned, Ish, concerning the weights. Is the theory just to get through the matted vegetation or is it, you know, the speed of the fall? In other words, if if you had to kind of look at your weight selection, do you want to try and use the lightest that you can get away with? Or do you have any thoughts or opinions on on that piece when you get into the multiple weight selection? The multiple weight section is not about the speed of the fall and it is about getting through, but at the same time, it's getting through with the lightest weight possible for the hook setup. So when you go to go on a hook set, the smaller the weight is, the different hook sets that you can do. On a three-quarter ounce weight, I could pitch it in that mat, and I could jack set the hook on those fish. But on that one and three-quarter ounce weight, when he bites it, it's more like a pull set. Because if you slack line, jack set those fish, that weight's going to hit the back of their mouth and blow their mouth open. So I don't believe that once you get through that mat, they're going to eat it regardless because that's their home. They're going to be super comfortable. So it's about using the lightest weight to getting through the mat for the hook set and actually landing the fish, not necessarily the rate of fall. I don't really think the rate of fall matters as much because once you get it through, they're going to eat it regardless. You talk about the grass breaking up, and, and we kind of mentioned that throughout you know the, this interview so far. You know, in the pre-spawn, you're looking for some of the thickest mats. In the fall, right. how does that change? Are you still looking for the thickest stuff? Do you like the more scattered, thinner cover in that scenario? In the fall specifically, do you have a process of elimination on what to focus on? Yeah. The process of elimination in the fall is bait. The more bait that you can see in the grass, I think the better opportunity that you're going to have for catching bass in that area. Like you say, in the pre-spawn, the fish are going towards, leaning towards the thicker mats just because they're comfortable and they're happy there. In the fall, they're relating to feeding up for the winter. So I think that bait is hugely important. You can have some of the best looking grass, but if there's no bait there, there's probably not any bass there. Great point. So when you're looking for the bait, you're looking, you know, a lot of times in the fall, we see the surface activity, looking forward on your graph. I assume it's just a multitude of different ways that you're utilizing all of those senses to get in an area where you feel like it's most productive. Yeah. Structure scan helps you for looking under the mats that just, you know, that top out being able to see underneath those mats. Sometimes I'll take my ghost troll motor and I'll cut right through the mat and just start pulling the grass apart and seeing if there's any crawdads in it or see if I see any bluegill down in there. Right. Now, what about the main lake versus creeks? You know, you, you get that fall migration 
of shad moving back into the creeks. You know, obviously not all shad are doing the exact uh, same thing, but do you have a place where you like to begin looking? Is it backs of creeks, main lake, where you headed off first? Well, it depends on how early we're talking. I mean, now that we're in October, I'm mainly heading back into the creek channels you know september would have been more so main lake looking heading back but now we're in october october's huge for making sure that you are in the backs of the creek gotcha great points last thing before we go to break you see anglers fishing all around you you know or 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 in areas you know you're cruising down the lake and you see you know weekend anglers you know fishing this section of the lake or that section of the lake or maybe you see their setup you know when you're putting your boat in and out and that kind of stuff if you had to see something that general anglers you know weekend anglers are missing through the fall cycle in flipping uh specifically looking for grass mats and and flipping cover what do you think that their biggest point is that they might be missing out there to give them some more success i think a lot of anglers miss the in-between stuff so they'll get on the spot they'll troll the motor and all of a sudden there'll be no grass or there'll be no cover and they'll pack up and they'll run down a ways. Mm -hmm. And okay. there could have been one little tiny patch of grass or one little stick up or one little rock to flip to or one dock. I can't tell you how many times, and I'll never ever forget one instance was we were on Lake Oneida and it was the single dock that's all the way at the south end of the lake and it's all by itself. Mm -hmm. And for like three years in a row, every time I went practice that dock, I caught like a four pounder off this thing. <laughs> right. And it's like, it's like, God, you big dummy, don't go do this. So <laughs> I went and I won Lake Oneida and I needed one fish on the second day. And I ran all the way down to that dock. I didn't practice on it purposely. And I went and I caught a four pounder off that dock. But it's the only isolated dock. I don't think anybody took the time to spin and fish it because there wasn't a lot of other stuff to go fish around it. And so anglers, I think what they do is they get off their trolling motor instead of just going down the bank and hitting one or two extra isolated pieces that are probably going to hold fish versus all the beautiful stretches that everybody fishes. Awesome insight. Great stuff, Fish. I'll tell you what, we are going to take a quick break and power pull down for some messages from our partners. We'll be back with more from Ishman Rock. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Power Pole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, Power Pole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, Power Pole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Power Pole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio is presented in part by Mercury Marine, returns with MLF BPT angler Ish Monroe in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store for free shipping on all Lucas products. It works. Ish, let's jump across into another one of your favorite techniques. You mentioned it slightly in the first segment of the interview, but talking about frogging, um, this was another piece of your puzzle as you dominated that Toyota series out on the Delta last month. What are the three Ish Monroe keys to successful frogging? Well, first is equipment, having the right rod, reel, line, and obviously the right frog. 
So Rod being a seven foot two or longer extra heavy action rod, but it still has to have more so like a medium heavy tip to it for about six to eight inches. Because one, that tip allows you to get a good hook set and also work the frog when you're working in an open water. The extra heavy is the backbone for setting the hook and actually landing those fish because it's hard to penetrate two hooks. And then having the right frog, obviously Ishmael Rose, Fat Man Daddy Frog from River to Sea. I mean, I worked really hard on that frog. I used to have one by another brand and I felt like the hooks were too weak in it and they were flexing and I lost some really big fish. So I redesigned the hook and then I built a frog around that. So that being one of the keys. The next key is color. So you have a light color, which would be a white, a chartreuse, uh, something clear for bright sunny days, clean water, and then you have a dark color for dark days, first thing in the morning, late in the evening, which would be your blacks, your browns, and then you have a bluegill pattern to mix in when the fish are on bluegill. So color being another huge key. And then last but not least, where you fish it, and that's everywhere. You know, open water, around the thickest, heaviest cover. It's the one bait that you can fish anywhere and always catch fish on it. You kind of read my mind on the next uh, question that I was going to throw out, Ish, which was, you know, is there a particular cover that you gravitate towards later in the fall? It sounds to me like you just addressed that to where there doesn't even have to be cover for one. You fish it everywhere. But then I would also like to tack onto that. How long do you see that bite lasting before you kind of say, okay, now it's time, you know, the, the frog's over, it's done, it's time to move on to something else? So the temperature is all the key in frog fishing when I say that it's over. So in the pre-spawn bite, it's once that water temperature gets over 58 degrees, it starts to happen. You're not going to get a ton of bites, but the bites you get are going to be big. In the fall, when that water temperature hits below 60 degrees, I think that they start to transition, and I would prefer to throw like a buzz bait at that time if I was throwing a topwater bait. But it's more so getting into the square bills and the spinner baits once it hits 60 degrees. So water temperature is definitely key for when it turns on and turns off. Ish, there's so many types of frogs now on the market. I know you've got your own series. What about modifications you'd like to make with your frogs to trick them out? You know, the different types of tails and the legs and the spinners and, and a lot of these types of things. Do you feel like sometimes you can add an element of flash or sound or something of that nature, you know, some kind of modification that might help you get an extra bite or two, or maybe after you've worked a stretch, you know, to go back through a stretch with a, a slight modification may get you an extra bite or something of that nature. Yeah, the only modification that I do is River to Sea makes what they call their frog kit. And what comes in their frog kit is a plopper tail, like a whopper plopper tail that actually mounts on the back of the two hooks. And now you get the plopper action in a frog. And so those extra, that little modification there has been key to triggering one or two extra strikes because who wouldn't want a plopper? I mean, been one of the hottest baits for the last five years oh, right, out there, but right. now you have it in a weedless bait. So that would, that's what gets me excited is using that. Yeah, last question on frogging in general. What's the deepest water that you'll throw a frog in? Uh, I've caught him on Lake Mead in 30 feet of water. <laughs> wow. That, that would be well, a- you got those – the water got real high 
on Lake Mead. This is when a lot of those bushes used to be in the water and it was 30 feet and there was this dark bush. And the only thing I had in my hand was my frog. And so I picked it up and threw it over the top of this really dark bush in 30 feet of water. And <laughs> I watched the fish come up and eat it. <laughs> so cool. In a general circumstance, you know, you're fishing cover. I- I've seen this myself a few times where I'll get back off of some matted vegetation or some scattered mats, you know, in the fall. And it's hard for me to get some fish to react in that four to eight foot range, you know, and I'll put the frog down and think, well, they're just not biting it. Then, you know, I'll have a friend or, or I'll go out the next day or whatever the situation might be that's, you know, I find out they're, they're eating the frog, but it's a depth situation. Like they're only reacting to it if I get more shallow, like, you know, zero to four feet and say in that circumstance so do you see that often yourself when you're frog fishing about how you've got to you know kind of vary your depth and really kind of see how do you approach that because you're so successful with it all the time right so you know probably some of it just comes naturally to you but if you dive into it and really think about it do you see yourself like maybe weaving in and out a little bit more to really find out the depth zone or the cover or or a scenario that it's working for you how does that play for you in the fall absolutely i mean that deal of the weaving in and out is is every fish is different you know every fish doesn't live in four to six feet of water every fish doesn't live in zero feet of water so you have to vary that that's the great part about the frog bill is you can fish it in any instance. It could be, you know, skipping it up underneath dogs, fishing it in brush, fishing it in grass, you know, fishing it deep, fishing it shallow. It's not going to hang up, but I find myself doing it. Uh, what makes me so, so successful with the frog is the fact that I throw it and I don't put it down. You know, it's funny because I had Rojas at my house a little bit ago and we were just sitting there talking about the frog thing and how, you know, yeah, everybody's throwing a frog, but a lot of guys, what they do is they have 10 rods on their deck along with that frog. And so that they're mixing it up and throwing it, throwing it. Me and me, we will literally throw it all day, not be getting a bite for three hours, and all of a sudden hit that right key stretch and that right type of cover and catch four or five fish and then go in the next three hours without another bite. So it's about the confidence of actually throwing it, not putting it down. Great tip. You're a master at it, no doubt. Master of the flipping and frogging. Ish, we're going to move into our listener question segment. This part of our show is presented by Nitro Performance Bass Boats. I actually call on a close friend of mine because he's a frog lover. And uh, so Rick Harris from Del Rio, Texas asked the following questions. When and how do you decipher conditions or cover that would make moving from, you know, a hollow body frog to a buzzing frog? Well, the buzz frog is a completely different frog, so you can't really compare the two. When the fish want a buzz frog, they want a buzz frog. When they want a hollow belly, they want a hollow belly. It's two different techniques. It's never one that I have both of them tied up at the same time when I'm fishing. It's usually either one or the other. So what you do is you see the buzz frog conditions, you see the hollow belly conditions. You're not going to throw a buzz frog over the top of a mat. You're going to throw it more in open water, buzzing it through there, kicking when there's probably a lot of shad or bait fish around. The hollow belly frog to me is more of a bigger 
bluegill crawdad scenario and thicker mat scenario. So it, it, it's about looking at the conditions that you have and throwing that frog. Perfect. Hey, also interested to understand, Rick wants to know what not for flipping and frogging you choose and why. Okay, so when you tie your frog on, it's a double polymer, which is actually taking the loop of the polymer and going through the eye twice. And then the flipping knot is a snail knot, unless you're using the Ishwin Road New Jack flipping hook from River to Sea, where you could go through the first eye and tie to the second eye a snail knot, a clinch knot, a San Diego jam, and still get that same capitation. But if you're not using that hook, you're using, say, a Gamagatsu heavy cover hook, you're using the BMF hook from Reaction Innovations, one of those hooks, you must learn to tie a snail. And that's all just, you know, having that hook kind of kick out when you're pulling that weight through the fish's mouth. Is that your key there? Yep, that's exactly it. If you tie that snail and you pull that hook to the weight, you'll see how it kicks out or kicks upwards. And then if you tie a regular, like a Palomar or San Diego to that safe hook, you'll see that it won't kick out. And, and the kick out is the whole key of actually hooking those fish. Gotcha. So I got one more thing to throw at you. This is my personal question. A loop knot, you know, loop knot, you, you, you might work with uh, walking bait top waters quite a bit, you know, kind of gives a little bit more action. Do you ever, if you're fishing open water, frogging hollow belly or more tree oriented where you need or would like more side to side action, would you ever go to a loop knot? No, never. Uh, the loop knot has about a 60% break ratio of the actual so whether you're tying like a perfection loop or something like that, that knot is not very strong. You know, the Palomar, the San Diego jam, straight to the eye is going to be strongest. That loop knot all probably also interfere with working the frog and the knot getting in the way of the bat, the cheese, or any kind of grass. Good stuff. Perfect. All right. Man. Okay. I, and wait, 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 Aaron, before we move on, I got one more thing I got to ask you. <laughs> you're, you're, you're working him, man. He's going to be on overtime today. One more, one more question. One more question. One more question. Today. Well, one more question. Did I get paid overtime for this? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. You know, there's a big there in the flipping. Going back to the flipping, I wanted to ask this in the first segment of the interview, but uh, it, it slid by me with all the other knowledge you were bringing to the table. And um, there's a trend to use some floor. You know, you got a lot of pressure, right? Matt's got pressure. Yep. People are flipping, punching, talking about fluorocarbon leaders, you know, still using that 50, 60 pound braid, maybe tying a 20, 25 pound fluorocarbon leader. Is that something that you think has some advantages and are there situations that you will utilize that? I believe it's a disadvantage. I believe when you're flipping in that bass, they don't see line size. They don't see line. So the disadvantage is now you're tying another knot in your line. And once again, trying to get through that cheats and fight that knot, hook sets. You know, I can break 65 to a, you know, an FG or a, you know, on a hook set. Mm-hmm. So the key really there is for you is really even though there's more pressure, you're not so certain that the fluorocarbon is given an, an angle or an advantage in those kinds of situations. No. Gotcha. The great part about things is when you, when you get that more pressure, they have these things called outboard motors. 
and <laughs> right. you just keep running until you get away from everybody. There you go. Good <laughs> so stuff. Uh, so the tips never stop raining down with Ish Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great stuff, Ish. Uh, we appreciate you tackling those questions and just know that uh, your next state dinner is going to be compliments of Kurt Dove. Uh, Rick, we would also, yeah. Rick, we would also like to show our appreciation for you sending in that question. All you've got to do is uh, log on to BassEdge.com, click the Claim Your Prize tab, fill out the information, and we are going to get the Bass Edge gift sent directly to you. And as a reminder, as always, Bass Edge listeners, keep firing in those questions. Log into our website, BassEdge.com, click the Ask the Pros tab. Your question could be chosen for the next show and have another shot of winning an awesome gift right here from Bass Edge Radio. Well, Ish, it's always a pleasure uh, to have you on every episode of, of Bass Edge that we can. And certainly our time does fly. You bring such a wealth of information on raising our fishing IQ. But before we do close down, any final uh, thoughts for Bass Edge Nation? No, I just, you know, tell people to get you know, get their kids out there fishing. You know, this is a great time. And I mean, I know and everything that's going on in this crazy world right now fishing is still out there and it's still available and a lot of parents are spending time at home with their kids so take your kids fishing great stuff fish thanks again for being here on bass edge radio always happy to have you man i hope i can see you on the road in 2021 it's always a pleasure to bump into you everybody at bass edge nation y'all hold tight aaron and i will return in just a moment you know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWear Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWear Keel Guard. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. What an interview, Kurt. Obviously, every time he is on the show, um, he just amazes me of how much more information it seems like he brings from the last time. And then, of course, you know, his tournament win by 16 and a half pounds, uh, just amazing. Yeah, yeah, man. It's always fun to chat with Ish. As the listeners can tell, I like to pick his brain also. You see a lot of different um, techniques and different things that go on in the in the sport of bass fishing. And, and when a guy is as specialized as Ish is in, in flipping and frogging, and, and like he says, man, he just keeps that frog in his hand. You know, I'm sure he's flipping it up every once in a while too, you know, when they're not biting the frog. But it's a, it's a one-two punch for him. And when you see him do well, it is flipping and frogging. You don't see Ish capitalizing with a drop shot you know in the top 10 
right? I mean, you don't see it. And, and that's not because he can't do it. He chooses to fish and frog. That's what he wants to do. That's what he feels like he's best at. And when you see him win, win by 16 plus, you see him win an elite series, you see him do well on MLF. It's because he puts it in his hand and he gets it done. I want to hear about what guys have to say that are that proficient with techniques. And uh, that's what Bass Edge is all about, man. It's education by the best out there in the business. And that's what we got today. For sure. And uh, certainly if Bass Edge Nation has any feedback for us on that episode or any episode, by all means, please uh, continue sending in the listener questions, giving us feedback, whether it's through our email or all of our social media platforms, and certainly BassEdge.com, all kinds of information, uh, whether it's articles, videos, and certainly the BassEdge.com store there where you can find uh, Jay McNamara's book, The Pure Clean Solution that's been working so well, uh, many, many other things. But Kurt, what a wrap. That concludes episode 338. Hard to believe in two weeks, we will be in the first of November, quickly approaching the holiday season. So gobble, gobble, gobble. That's right. But in the meantime, <laughs> I look forward to seeing your Halloween costume, Kurt. So Yeah, we'll be sure to post that on the uh, social sites. Yes, so yes. Tune in. That's right. All right, everybody. For Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin. We look forward to episode 339 and uh, joining you again on November 1st. So long, everybody. The Edge is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, Lawrence Electronics, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.